Hello, my name is Deborah Hamilton, and welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This podcast seeks to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view and disciplines. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of this podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations so that every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to your joining us on this journey toward a better understanding of similar and divergent points of view. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening first. I'm so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's get started. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and this is Why Do Pets Matter, the podcast that talks to people about why pets matter to them. And today I am so grateful and so, and you guys are just so lucky to hear from my dear friend, Debbie Boone, who is the principal at ToManageVetsConsulting.com. Debbie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Deborah, for having me. We always have such good conversations, so I'm excited. I am too. I really am. So this podcast talks about why do pets matter? Because that's like the overarching question to everyone. So give me a little bit of a background on why do pets matter to you? Well, you know, I was one of those kids who grew up in the country. And at one time I looked around and I had 13 cats, 11 dogs, a couple of goldfish and a chicken that my grandmother had given me. And this uh, all made me very happy. So I have been immersed in pets all my life. And I think as a child growing up, they are such um, a companion to us. We can talk to them. They're non-judgmental, And they often teach us so much about just being a good person. Um, I've often thought that children who were not allowed to have pets when they were little didn't learn a lot of things that, you know, compassion and how to care for something, and of course, I was raised, my mom always said, don't get it if you're not going to look after it, so I was always raised to, you know, limit how many I had uh, to the affordability of my pocketbook at that time, so that they were well cared for at all times, and, um, you know, that's not always the case, but uh, it's certainly been the way I buffer myself, because I do love animals, and I could have a hoard if I wanted, if I really wanted to. But I do have to be practical about it and, um, and and give them a lot of attention, too. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to say that the, the one thing that always struck me is when having animals as a child, because I got my first one, I think, when I was five. It was a little German schnauzer, was their forgiveness. They forgave me all of the things I did when I was little that I didn't realize likely, you know, was not kind to my beautiful Kelly. Um, however, she always forgave me, although for a long time she wouldn't be in a room alone with me. So maybe that was a little telltale. <laughs> so, but I was five. So, you know, that, I, I love when you said, how can you afford them? How much you can care for them? And also consider whether or not that pet's right for your family at the time. Oh gosh. Yes. Well, you know, I, I've been in veterinary medicine since 1985 and that is my degree and my background is animal science. And so many times I've seen people look like the movie comes out, and here's this cute dog from the movie, and more than happy to give him a heads up. Uh, I can remember very well uh, one of my clients, Ms. Netter, had this cute little Westie whose name was Annabelle, and she was maybe 
eight or ten, very laid-back little dog. And Ms. Manners came in one day, and she said, Deb, you know, I'm thinking about getting Annabelle a friend. And I went, oh, that's a wonderful idea, because Annabelle, you know, she's an alone dog. And uh, she said, yeah, I'm thinking about getting a Jack Russell. And I said, please don't do that to Annabelle, because <laughs> she would just be tormented by this dog. They spend more time on the ceiling than the floor. And Mrs. Metters was an older lady, too, you know, and so I just, this lifestyle that she had and this very calm dog, I just pictured this tornado coming into her house um, as the Jack Russell and her not being able to, you know, handle the energy level of this dog. So, you know, thank God she asked, and, uh, and she ended up getting, I think, a little poodle mix, which is certainly much more appropriate for her, her lifestyle and for Annabelle's sanity. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think there's... Uh, you know, there's so many um, mixed breed dogs out there, and I've had both. I've had the show dogs that were, uh, I laugh, they're always reject. If you work in an animal hospital, all your animals are reject animals from somebody else, and that's how we end up with them. So I've had the beautiful show Shih Tzu, um, and then I've had the little cute mixed dog from the animal shelter, and, um, you know, it doesn't really make any difference, but you just got to look at what suits you. You know, if you're... Um, if you're traveling a lot like I do, at this point in time, my husband and I have no pets. And it, believe me, I am having incredible dog withdrawal. So every time I'm in the airport and one of those service you know, company dogs is there, I'm like, oh, my God, there's just, I know the dog's name in the Charlotte airport. Um, but, I, you know, I practically, at this point in time, just can have, not say I can have a dog because I can't housebreak a puppy. I don't have the time. My husband doesn't have the knowledge or the patience to do it, and I'm not going to let him do that either. <laughs> so, um, you just sometimes there's a there's a, uh, you have to be practical about animals, even though they're they're such an emotional driver for us. You know, they make, they do make us happy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting you said that because I just made a huge move from my house that I lived in for 25 years to a much smaller house. And in order to sell the house, we got it staged. And one of the staging things was getting rid of the dogs, which of course was simple because I had so many owners who had had my Irish setters or my dachshunds in the area who all raised their hand and were standing at the door to take my dogs because they're well-behaved, they're well-mannered, you know, what's one more anyway. Um, and so they all went out the door in March and it was really, I was traveling a great deal, so it wasn't so bad for me, but my husband wasn't, and it really affected him. He said, I can't stand this. I can't stand not having a dog. So we only have uh, one back right now. We're trying to wangle the rest of them back from the caretakers <laughs> who, who keep telling us the house is too small for this many dogs. You have to keep, just have one. And so it's perfect. You're, you're, they're judging for us, you know, that the house yes. is too small. But it really is interesting in your you know, position um, as a as a manager for veterinarians. What's the one thing you think um, pet owners need to know? You know, why do pet matters? Why do pets matter um, to veterinarians and vet practices? But what can pet owners do to make sure that they have the best communication going with their veterinarians? Well, I think the first thing is and you have had this conversation before, is assume good intent. Uh, all veterinary teams work because they love animals. It is an incredibly hard emotional job and an incredibly hard physical job because you spend your entire day up and down off the floor lifting animals. Chances of getting bitten or scratched are high. 
most of our damage comes from uh, bad backs and fights. And so there's that. But then when owners assume that we're just, you know, out to gouge them for money rather than really knowing what's best medicine and, and offering our very best to them. And I also keep in mind that the reason that many veterinarians go into veterinary medicine is because they're introverts and they are animal people and they don't really understand how to deal with human very well. In fact, this is really what I do as a practice management consultant. I focus on teaching, I laugh and say I teach animal people how to communicate with humans because they absolutely understand the animals. They understand their body language. They're able to diagnose them without them speaking a word. But then often when it comes to conveying that knowledge to their human owners, they fall short because they don't have those excellent communication skills that somebody like Deb Hamilton has um, in order to, you know, be able to educate a client as to why there's, this is valuable and necessary. And so people just get, I don't know, I guess they just kind of get offended and they get, feel disrespected. Um, you know, and I understand that because if someone's talking over my head, it is disrespectful for me. And, and, and it also makes me feel foolish and I don't want to feel that way. And, and so I think that, you know, it really behooves us as veterinary professional team members to work hard on our communication skills so that our clients do understand what we're offering and why we're offering it and how it's going to benefit not just their pet, but them. Because, you know, it's, the whole theme of your podcast here is why pets matter. Well, they matter because they make our lives better. And, and when we're helping animals, we're not just helping animals, we're helping their humans too. Because we want this bond to not be broken. Um, I, I give classes, as you know, and I've talked to my students many times, and I said, look, our job is to keep the bond alive. Because if you have a cat that constantly pees outside the litter box, and every day you come home and your house needs scrubbing, then that breaks the bond. Or they have separation anxiety, and you come home and your couch is shredded. Well, that breaks the bond. But veterinarians have tools in our tool belt that can help with all that, and we can give you information and we can give medications and we can give advice and behavior consultations that say we can help all that stuff. And then that bond is not broken with that animal and you enjoy having it in your home rather than it being almost a torment. I, I was um, at a restaurant the other night and I have this shirt on that said dogs love me. And of course that's all it takes. It's, you know, any, any dog person is going to immediately make a connection with that and so the bartender said, can you help me with my dog with separation anxiety? And went, yes. Well, he was surprised because wasn't expecting that answer. But he was ready going home after work because he had adopted um, a rescue dog. And the dog was having some issues with separation. And so the bond, I'm thinking, wow, he really is dreading going back home to his own home. And so I gave him some suggestions. I told him to talk to his veterinarian and uh, because we can help that. We absolutely can help that. Absolutely. You know, as you were talking, the, the one thing that kept running through my mind was how um, difficult it is to ask questions after you've told someone something, either the veterinarian telling the pet owner or the pet owner telling the veterinarian, asking the question of, did I make that clear for you? 
Mm-hmm. Did you understand that? And and not to you know be um, patronizing, but say could right. you just repeat to me what I said to you, so I know that I you know was clear it, enough. It so it. yeah, and it's yeah. it's not. I love when you said you know sometimes people are talking above me or below me, and I'm like, yeah, but sometimes it's if you if you take it like you said, it's coming from the best of intention. Um, that if they ask you if you understand and if you ask them if they understood what you were telling them about your pet, then less um, mistaken impression because what in my practice, what usually happens is somebody says something which triggers something which then goes into the, um, the path and so they can't hear anything else that might need to be addressed. Because, well, they said they were peeing all over the house when they left us. So it's, it's separation anxiety, but it might be a kidney infection or a kidney stone. And if so, so asking um, questions, once someone's finished to saying, Debbie, just tell me about your cat peeing in the house. And let me ask you a few questions, if you don't mind, because I just want to get a full picture. Do they pick, do they pee any other time? Do they blah, blah, blah. So that you can find the most information and also, if, if you hear something, I always find when I do my work, ask the question again, not because, you know, you didn't hear it um, or they didn't articulate it in a way you understood it, but rather to just gain more clarity. And I know you work that way, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I teach veterinary things to ask open-ended questions. And so a typical scenario in an exam room is we're going to prescribe a medication and we prescribe how we are supposed to give it, and then we say, Ms. Jones, are you comfortable giving your cat this medication? And the answer is yes or no. And usually it's yes, because people, first of all, they've only half heard what you've said because they're distracted by the cat and their Isn't circumstances. That the truth? Right, exactly. And, and so that's not thinking in any way. And then, and such that they say yes. Well, then, invariably, an hour later, they call the animal hospital back at the front desk and say, can I talk to that technician again? Because I forgot completely what she told me I was supposed to do about this medicine. So when I'm coaching, I said, ask this question instead. Ms. Jones, tell me how you plan to give your kitty this medication when you get home. And then you listen. Because it is much better to find out if it is going to be a hot mess right then than after they get home and it tips it and then they, you know, the cat scratches them and it's hiding under the couch and the whole thing is a mess. Um, so we handed off at the past, and then just got the redundant phone call. And, you know, the other thing I've, I've been suggesting, too, because pictures worth a thousand words and a video is worth a million, is to just video the team giving the cat the medication, doing a talk-through of how to do it for the client, and then emailing that video to the client. And so here, I'm in your back pocket. All you have to do next time you try to steal your cat, or give your dog this medication, just pull up this video, and here I am walking you through it step by step. I have to tell you, technology has made life so much easier. I remember when I was teaching a class at Colorado State University Vet School, and a third-year vet stood up and said, listen, I feel totally disrespected when I tell someone how to pill their cat, and I know that my vet tech told them how to pill the cat, and then they come back and say, you never told me how to pill the cat. And I, I, I always hold a safe space for the frustration that brings, as you do, because, you know, how many times do you have to tell somebody how to unscrew a jar? I mean, there are a lot of ways, a lot of, you know, however, 
holding a safe space for that veterinarian or vet tech to vent is important. And then giving them the skills so they don't feel disrespected, but rather that they feel empowered to take that next step and say, you know, we have videos online. So uh -huh. some people might not, you know, want to see their cat pill, but they, they want to see somebody else's cat pill. So once you take a picture of one cat being pilled, you might be able to push that, you know, through. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, you know, five different ways to pill a cat. <clears throat> because what you want to do is you want to make sure that, uh, the people are compliant. And when this vet student stood up, I said, you know, absolutely. But let's take a step back, as you just talked about, and think about the fact that you're helping their sick animal, which, of course, is making them not hear at least half of what you're saying. Um, and so to be proactive uh, in getting in touch with them to see what they heard is mm -hmm. so important as opposed to uh, getting angry because they're asking you again. That goes back right. to the make sure you ask questions. So as a pet owner, please, God, don't feel shamed or, you know, shy to ask the vet or the vet tech, can you do that again? I mean, you can be self-deprecating if you'd like, but quite frankly, this isn't something you do every day. You don't pill no, your pet. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I love the way you said that you want us to take a video of us pilling your cat so you can see what we did. Um, yeah, it really, it, it makes such an important um, well, piece of information. When, I, when I'm teaching my students, I walk them to realize that you know, we do this every day and it is not fair to measure someone else by our yardstick because then that's judgmental. And I, the the analogy I give is, you know, most of the people I know drive a car and they will put gas in it and they will wash it and maybe they put something fancy over the seats or hang something from the mirror, but they don't know how to fix it. And so just because people have animals that they feed, that they bathe, that they buy cute collars and put in baby strollers does not mean that they know about animal health. And then it is incredibly unfair to judge them on that. And people pick up on that. The other thing I also coach people is to understand that they are professional speakers. Now, you and I both give presentations for a living, and every professional speaker knows that the, our audience is going to hear and comprehend about 20% of that, and 10% of that is going to be wrong. So now, and, and your audience is sitting here relaxed in a, in a chair listening to us. But now put an animal in the room, put some stress of money, put some stress if my animal is sick, and then talk in medical terminology, which is like talking to an IT person if somebody is not, you know, on board with medicine, those people are only getting about 10% of what we are giving out there. And so we've got to be able to give them something that ups their level of comprehension and that it can be a handout, it can be the video, it, it's got to be some follow-up. You can't just say, here, take, give your cat two pills and, you know, we'll be seeing a week because that's not going to get it happening for you. And the cat's not going to get what they need either. And their client's going to call it dissatisfied because that expensive medicine you sold me, um, my cat's still sick and I wasn't able to give it and you should have known I couldn't have given it. And <laughs> so it's no false back. And it comes back to the veterinary team catching the blame for that, even though the client didn't comply, but it's because we didn't do our due diligence in order to, to make it easier for the client to, to do their job or even find out if they could. 
Yeah. You know, that is such an important piece of the conflicts that come through my door uh, with veterinary medicine is that the owners feel the vet's team blames them from whatever didn't happen or whatever did happen that was negative. And so they're like, but you didn't tell me. And you probably told them three times, maybe four. Uh, however, I think your idea of having a handout, um, having a video is really above and beyond, I know, but will give the success rate more of a boost or a kick in the pants. Um, but also checking in. I mean, having somebody in your office dedicated to checking in uh, to make sure that if they have any questions, maybe it's not the vet. I always like to speak to the vet, but you know, as, as we've spoken about, vets have to have a life too. But someone who at least can call in screen to see if, you know, Debbie really is able to pill the cat um, and, and ask questions that make sure that, you know, they really did pill the cat and they're not pulling yeah. a leg. So how did yeah. that go for you? And how many pills do you have left? You know, count, right. you count them for me because, you know, they're only supposed to have three left and they have six. So clearly exactly. the cat's winning this pill battle. Uh, so I think it's it's fabulous that what you do is help veterinarians know that scenario. What, what in your experience has been the single most important piece um, for a pet owner? Because we've talked about vets and vet practices responding to pet owners, um, but what a pet owner can do to help their vets be successful. Well, I think one of the things is to just be forthcoming. So many times I think sometimes people are embarrassed to say that you know this has been going on as long as it has. So we go, oh, it's only happened a couple of days. But the problem when you do that, you're sabotaging the diagnostic effort of the veterinary hospital because they don't really know. And I always laugh because one of our running jokes in class is that you know clients lie to you, right? And they just, oh, absolutely, they do. And typically when, particularly like a dog has ingested an illegal substance or uh, something that's embarrassing, and they do. They, dogs, uh, in my career, I have seen dogs eat everything from corn cobs to sea sponges to a Hot Wheels car and a golf ball, and uh, not to mention the disgusting things like tampons and candies that they will also eat. So owners are kind of embarrassed to come in and tell that kind of stuff, but, you know, we see it all. And, and we're just like the human hospital that, that sees everything. And, and we're not judging you about it. We just need to know. So be forthcoming and tell us so that we can fix it and fix it fast. Um, it's, um, and I think sometimes people will also doctor Google stuff. And I'm not saying that there's not good information on, on the Internet, because there is. And we can send you actually to some very good, scientifically sound websites. But there's also a bunch of garbage out there, and it's very frustrating for us. But also, I think sometimes people will go and they'll read something on Facebook. And our, our running joke at this point in time is the coconut oil and cider vinegar that cures cancer. So people sometimes will be embarrassed to say, well, I used this in his ears because, again, they're, they're afraid we're going to judge them. We're not going to judge you. We're just going to shake our heads. But we need to know that in order to help. And um, so, you know, again, going back to the intent, we're going to intend, you know, our, our, our communication is going to say, we know that you want to help your pet and we're going to hope that you're going to be honest. And then 
we hope that you know that we're coming at this from the best medicine standpoint because we want to help your pet to the best of our ability. And um, so if we assume positive intent on both sides, I think that's incredibly helpful. And it also not to be afraid to say, I don't get that. Can you back up? Because we're okay with that. You have to understand that we're so used to using our internal jargon that it makes shortcuts and it's easy for us. And going back to that reference of talking to someone who's an IT professional, you know, I have friends who do this for a living and they say stuff and I'm like, I have no idea what you just said. But a lot of people will just kind of nod and go on with that. So it's okay. You are not veterinarians. You're not veterinary technicians. We don't expect you to be. But there are people who have different levels of knowledge. You know, you um, obviously have had dogs a long time. So I'm going to speak to you in a very different manner than somebody who's got their very first new puppy who's never had a dog in their life. They're going to need a different knowledge level. And there again goes back to uh, help, uh, understanding, talking to your client, knowing what their level of knowledge is about their pet. Um, you know, one of the, the things is we always talk about uh, breeders and working with some breeders. Now, I've worked with exemplary breeders in my career, um, Westminster quality dogs, and those breeders know their dog breed. They know their quirks. They know their genetic predispositions. They know what medications cause them problems, and it behooves veterinary teams to listen to those breeders. Now, then you got the other one. So, says, I got a dog. You got a dog. Let's have some more dogs. Those are not breeders. Those are just that hot mess that we talked about earlier, and they will tell their owners or people who buy their puppies the most off-the-wall stuff that is so unscientifically sound that it's horrifying, and yet those people will look at us and go, but my breeder said, like, they are the ultimate authority. And and so if you have a breeder who's doing it right, knows those health problems of their pet, takes advice from veterinarians, <laughs> understands their science behind medicine, uh, then, yeah, those those breeders absolutely have clout with us. Um, the other ones, not so much. So listen to the science is my, you know, if you want to, if you want to get a good communication going with your veterinarian, listen to the science. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting you bring that up. So we're wrapping up now the podcast, but I want to make sure that I can have you come back because we didn't even touch on um, as much as I would like team communication and culture, which really is the is the bedrock of a veterinary practice. But to just add to the breeder um, discussion, you want to have a breeder who's a mentor, not a breeder who's a salesperson. Because if they're not a mentor, if they don't want to remain in your life and they don't want to help you have success with this puppy, you might want to rethink it. And in our in our world where we want the dog on Saturday, um, there's a little bit of a disconnect there because most breeders can't, most breeders who do all the health checks that you talked about and, and all the, you know, socialization of the puppies before you get them, uh, we can't deliver that way. You sometimes have to wait a year or two. If you want an Irish setter from me, um, it's been three years since my last letter. Uh, so, you know, I have a, a line a mile long, but I'm there for the long haul for 12, 15 years. I just helped one of my owners find a puppy from a colleague of mine. It was another mentorship 
Um, it's whether or not you, you want to have a mentor as a veterinarian who's going to help you have the most success with your puppy and your older dog and your middle-aged dog, and also the breeder. Um, veterinarians don't dislike breeders who are mentors and, you know, breeders don't don't dislike veterinarians who want to be partners. It's it's mm -hmm. just that simple. So and I will say thank you for not overbreeding your dog. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, no. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. We, uh, we definitely um, we're very sparse in the rum raisin crew, uh, but. Uh, I have people calling me saying we want another one. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, older than dirt now. And so, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, if you work. do it right, a if, lot of work. <laughs> if you do it right, it's a lot of work and you don't make any money. So, yes. you know, that's yeah. my thought between the pre-testing and the post-testing and the health and everything. But let's talk about that the next time. Deb, thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad Debbie Boone from ToManageVets.com was here with us today. Um, please have a great rest of your day. Thank you for being on the podcast. Deb, thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. I always enjoy it. And, you know, pets are so important to me. Um, I, you know, I just hope we can make life better for animals in general and the people who love them. Why do pets matter? Because animals in general and the people who love them thrive when pets matter. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton, and this podcast is my passion. Do you have a great guest or idea for a topic you'd like me to explore? Go to my website and click Contact at Hamilton Law and Mediation. That's Hamilton Law, L-A-W, and A-N-D, Mediation, M-E-D-I-A, T-I-O-N dot com. Until next week, our pets do matter. This is Deborah Hamilton thanking you for being here.